This is James Walker, and welcome to Real Talk, Real People. This is the podcast that turns the mic over to everyday people to hear what they have to say about the issues and problems we face as a society. Hello, folks. Thank you very much for joining us again this week. There is a crisis brewing in New Haven that affects, or I should say, potentially affects black and brown people who are seeking mental health treatment. Officials at the Connecticut Mental Health Center, along with the commissioner of the Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, are planning to bring in armed police and surveillance at the center. And not everybody is happy about that. The advocacy group Hamden Action Now sees the impending policy change as just a veiled attempt to control black and brown communities. My guests today are Rhonda Cardwell of Hamden Action Now, along with Carmen Parker and Keith Gallagher from Yale University, who work at the center. This is an important discussion, folks, that is available in both the audio and video versions. So let's get started and hear what they have to say. My name is Keith Gallagher, and I am an assistant professor of psychiatry at Yale University. And also uh, I work as an attending psychiatrist at the Connecticut Mental Health Center. I am Dr. Carmen Black Parker. I am also assistant professor of psychiatry and Dr. Gallagher's colleague at the Connecticut Mental Health Center. And Rhonda, if you could introduce yourself and tell us why you're here and give us some background on what's going on. My name is Rhonda Caldwell. I am a lead organizer and director of Hamden Action Now. We're an activist group in in Hamden, Connecticut. Um, Our mission for our group is to um, bring equity and justice to the Black, Brown, and Indigenous community of Hamden, as well as Connecticut. Um, We're here to discuss today Um, the issues regarding um, CMHC, which are considering to bring in additional security measures to their New Haven facility in which Hamden Action Now and our collaboration group is fiercely opposed to it. Um, Before we go further, can you tell us what CMHC, can you tell us what that is? Right, it's the Connecticut Mental Health Center. It's a state, it's a part of the the DEMAS um, agencies that provide mental health services for the community. Um, and they're located in New Haven across the street from the Yale New Haven Hospital. And what is, what is the plan that they're implementing that has you so upset? Well, the plan is, is that they seem to want to try to address some sort of fear. There hasn't been any issues. Let me just say that we, there has been no incidents of, of any kind of, you know, you know, shootings or anything like that that's happened or stabbings that nothing that's been notable that we know about. Um, but they're wanting to try to preempt some of these issues that I guess that they are seeing in the, you know, all around our country. Um, but, the, you know, you can't, we know that we're all in danger. I mean, danger is all around us because of, you know, the gun laws that are present in our country. Um, so I think by adding more security in, in these black and brown communities to facilities where people are supposed to be receiving mental health supports is problematic. Um, I specifically know this for to be true. I work in a state office and we don't have any of it. 
Um, and I think that our in all the state office, if you're going to bring a conveyor belt um, and an x-ray machine similar to what's at the prison, then that should be at all state offices because I guess we're all in danger. But for some reason, um, they already have, you know, a policy that now that if you don't, if you refuse to empty your pockets and empty your purse and run it through the, the scanner, now they have a right to pat you down. And then if you don't pat down, they have the right to call the police, which are, you know, armed with lethal weapons. And we know how well that goes when black and brown folks are, have the police called on them for trivial issues. We're seeing it on this George Floyd trial. So we see it on all of these issues. You know, you had Freddie Gray who looked at the police the wrong way and he ended up dead. We had Sandra Bland that didn't even put on her blinker. She's dead because people are calling the police on trivial issues when they should be con concentrating on homicides and rapes, you know? And so we're fiercely opposed to this policy. Now, you, we are talking about a mental health center and quite frankly, I agree with you. And I, there are reasons why I, I doubt if any black or brown person would not agree with you. But we are talking mental health, and we do have a lot of people out here who, in a heartbeat, will commit violent acts against people. So while I agree with you, what should be in place to ensure that the people who are seeking mental health treatment are also safe? So um, the first thing I want to say, I would love to give the evidence, the academic literature behind that. There is no academic literature anywhere in existence that states that people with a mental illness are more likely to be perpetrators of violence. That is a stereotype that has been perpetuated in the media. Every time there's a shooting, they want to say it's, did they have mental illness? But hatred is not a mental illness. I do not treat in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Illnesses. Hatred is not, not a diagnosis. So I want to be very clear that I am proud to serve clients with mental health considerations, many of whom have racial trauma that need healing, many of whom have police trauma that need healing. We are in the positions of healers and I am glad to serve. We do not serve a violent population such as the media would portray. That is the evidence to that. Now, Rhonda, when I read your email and it contained a letter you were you were talking about um, the fact that other mental health facilities surround in the same area where this um, mental health facility is located that they do not have this type of um, surveillance protection these protections in place. Now, do you know that for a fact, or is that just something you're hearing, or do you know that for a fact? No, what I was referring to is other state facilities. Oh, okay. um, I was saying other state okay. offices, again, I like I, I work in a state office um, and uh, visit our state offices in Hartford and we don't have that level of security. So, you know, you're, it's the stigmatizing of, you know, mental health that I have the problem with. I mean, this is, you know, and the stigmatizing of it is what prevents people to want to even seek treatment. You know, if you're sitting, if you're stigmatized as a dangerous criminal type of person, you know, people would, would prevent, it would prevent them. It becomes a barrier for treatment because you won't go. Um, and, and it's just, I mean, to add a conveyor belt style of, of screening, it's just, it's, ex it's excessive for a facility that hasn't had any, hasn't had any incidents. How long has the, how, um, long, I mean, how long has the facility been there? 
CMHC, I believe, has been here since the 1950s. Don't quote me, but it's okay. Been so it's been a, it's not something that's just opened up in the last couple of years. Yeah. It's been there for a while. And to answer your yeah. prior questions, as far as yes. a conveyor belt with prison-like security-like uh, TSA, the only facility in the state that has an actual conveyor belt where you must empty your pockets and scan is Whiting Forensic Hospital which by definition serves the mental health needs of people with a carceral history. So those are um, pre-trial, awaiting trial, trying to restore their mental uh, resiliency before trial. It is for that population. CMHC does not specialize. I'm an outpatient psychiatrist, the same as if I were opening a practice in Guilford. Um, I am a I am not a probation officer. I am an outpatient academic psychiatrist. Rhonda, yeah, and I just want, can I just add to sure, that sure, um, to give a little kind of context? So all throughout my training, um, I've worked in various different settings in psychiatry, and I, I can only remember seeing um, kind of scanning conveyor belt sort of equipment again, at uh, forensic inpatient hospitals, similar to what Dr. Black mentioned at Whiting, which are, you know, for folks who, who often have a history of violence and an acute mental illness that does not allow them to be treated safely in the community. So very different from outpatient um, community psychiatry. But, you know, I, I've worked in uh, Veterans Administration hospitals. I do not recall seeing any scanning equipment there. I worked in a community mental health clinic um, in, in Baltimore that also did not have any scanning. There was a security personnel in the lobby, but, you know, it, it is a, it is something I haven't seen too much outside of the acute forensic inpatient hospitals. So what we're seeing in unison is, is not standard of practice. You're listening to Real Talk, Real People, the podcast that turns the mic over to everyday people. is I guess why Rhonda and is so against this because it indicates as you said in your email just further control over minority communities it seems that that is what this is all about can you explain to me what you mean by that well it's just we're back to you know minority communities being perceived as being dangerous um, and then you you layer it with mental health and mental illness we're back to the, the, the stigma in, in, that we are present with in our society, that black people are dangerous. They should be feared. Um, and you know, if you're mentally ill in a white community, you're not as feared. That's, that's the, that is the bedrock of white supremacy. I mean, if, I mean we, we've been living with the criminalizing of black and brown bodies since reconstruction. And, and now we do it with we do it and we cloak it in, oh, we want to just make sure we're safe because they're shooting in a grocery store and they're shooting, you know, at a movie theater and they're shooting at an open air concert. It doesn't even hold water. Like it just doesn't even make sense. Um, and so, you know, we, we, I contacted um, uh, commissioner Rittman, who is, uh, you know, the demons commissioner. And we spoke and she said at that time, when I spoke to her over the weekend, that this policy, while it was scheduled to be rolled out on the 28th, it's not in stone yet, 
Um, and I believe that there is a meeting scheduled for tomorrow internally. The 28th the of this month, the 28th of this month of April. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I would love to, I'll find out, you know, obviously everybody will tell me what happened after, but our coalition is fiercely against stigmatizing black and brown people with mental health as being violent. And when you increase these measures without any sound um, explain, explanation or any kind of, you know, research that says that this, you know, we're all unsafe, James, really. I mean, you're not safe going to the grocery store. I'm not safe going to work. My daughter's not safe going to a school. So, I mean, are we going to bubble wrap the whole society and say everybody stay home because we're afraid, you know, or do you want to do this because you feel that there's this a heightened sense of fear in a black and brown mental health facility, you know, and, and it's justified by taking Connecticut state dollars and throwing it at it. It's problematic. One of the things that got me in your letter was this was supposed to be or this plan that they've come up with is supposed to be an effort to not be, to be anti-racist. So I'm wondering what is the makeup of the people who came up with this plan? Because it just seems a little insensitive, a little crazy that you would have African-Americans um, who are part of making up this plan and that they would, they would not see the outcry that was going to come as a result of it. Do you know the makeup, racial makeup? It's a terrible thing to say, first of all. It's a terrible thing right. to say that you have to ask what is the racial makeup of the group. But in this particular case, it just surprises me that no one but an advocacy group has come and said, you know, this doesn't smell right. Mm -hmm. So do you have any idea of who is coming up with this plan? Yeah, I, I know that the, the information I received, it was Dr. Uh, Michael Sarniak. He has been, and I, don't, I believe internally there has been discussions saying this is going to be problematic. And people are feared, you know, fearing, you know, getting retaliation and losing their jobs. I mean, nobody wants to be out of work in the middle of a pandemic. You know, yeah. you don't need people to, you know, kind of try to retaliate and say and find ways to, you know, have you be removed from your position. Nobody can afford that. Um, but, you know, these folks are taking a great risk of, of their own personal income because they realize the, you know, how troubling and problematic this measure is um, you, on their you, patients who are already dealing with trauma. Do you really think that people's jobs are at stake if they if they rally against this measure? Do you really believe that? I mean, I the leadership says yes. <laughs> I've had private conversations with people who are very much fearful to join the efforts against this um, because they don't want to be labeled as the troublemaker. Retaliation can be subtle in ways of not getting promoted or you didn't get the pay increase. Um, and there's also language in the policy that's not subtle at all. Um, so the policy states that should an employee not comply with the additional screening measures, and I want to quote it so I'm not uh, risking any form of misinformation, but it says, if a staff member is unwilling to comply with the screening process, staff member will be directed by a DEMAS officer to wait at the entrance and the supervisor will be called. Process will be explained in the presence of the supervisor and the staff member will be afforded another opportunity to comply. The DEMAS officer, unarmed, will notify a DEMAS police supervisor, fully armed, 
who will determine if a work rule violation complaint is warranted. So if I, as a black woman, do not comply, I will have an armed police officer come to talk with me. Now, let me clarify that. Well, are we talking staff or, or patients or everyone? Everyone. So, so the staff has to go through this procedure to this conveyor belt deal. They have to go through it too. Yeah. And they've never, yes. they've never had to do that in the past. No. The conveyor belt is a whole new piece of infrastructure that's coming in. And, and I think that I think the huge misunderstanding from the um, providers and the, sa the staff saying that they have a problem with it, as I believe, and you can, you guys, um, uh, Keith and, and Dr. Black, you can correct me, but I think that the leadership believes that the staff had a problem with it because they didn't feel that they should be subjected to it. Like, oh, we should just be able to walk right past it and just the patients. And so, you know, oh, they're just complaining because they have to now go through this whole measure. And that, I don't, I haven't heard that from anybody. They didn't, it, they're more concerned about the, the, the outcome on how this is going to affect and, and impact their patients. You know, I mean, they weren't just complaining saying, oh, we don't want to go through it because we think we're too good. We're the providers. No, we don't think anybody should go through it. Let me ask you a question. How, um, do you know how effective this uh, services business center has been? Do we have a lot of people that seek treatment there or is it, lately that they're beginning to ramp up their act, so to speak. I love CMHC. Dr. Gallagher and I have no other reason to be in this state other than the fact that we love CMHC. We love it. That's why we're here. That's why I'm slightly terrified sticking up for what I think is right, but it's because I love my clients. I want to be a faculty member for the next 30 years should opportunity present itself. CMHC is a safety net community clinic. It has an inpatient unit, outpatient substance abuse treatment. If you're hungry, we'll give you a food card. If you're homeless, we'll help you find shelter. We'll give you a sleeping bag. Like we do so many good, wonderful things. And I love CMHC for it. And I also have a statement from Dr. Emma Lowe, who was unable to join us, but she has a national leading street psychiatry team, where with the K2 epidemic that happened on the green not too long ago in New Haven, the state of Connecticut cared so much about our black and brown communities that they funded a position for her to do homeless outreach. So instead of having clients come into the building with whatever barriers, perceptual or physical may prevent that, she is endorsed by the state of Connecticut to go into the community to provide mental health services. So CMHC does absolutely care about our communities. They can get it wrong sometimes, and we're here because we love her. But CMHC does so much good that Dr. Gallagher and I are in the state only because we love her and its clients. I have uh, one final question. And something, another thing in your letter that struck me was the fact that they were called patrol officers were going to be patrolling the ground. And you made a statement about um, one is going to be armed, one is going to be unarmed. So my question is, for those who are patrolling the grounds, are they armed or are they unarmed? And are they in uniform? I am under the, uh, the I believe that they're all armed. I, uh, there aren't going to be any unarmed people there. Aren't they going to all be, have lethal weapons? So the state police are fully armed and they have brought in a secondary 
security task force of unarmed patrol officers. So now we have a double security presence as opposed to armed state police only. And all of this is simply because it is a minority few, so to speak, center. There's been no problems. There's been no, no, no scandal, no deaths, no murders, no shootings or nothing like that. And it's 50 or 70, the 70 years it's been around. And then out of the blue, they have decided that this place needs security and armed guards. That's what you're telling me. Yeah, I, there's, there's been no incidents. I mean, I think I've, we thought for a long time that the security was fine. You know, I mean, it was doing their job. I mean, there's been no incidents. It's, I mean, it's if you if you got in a facility like this and you've had very little in, incidents, you didn't your security is working. You know, they're doing a great job with what they currently have, um, which is higher than average state buildings. But, you know, this additional I mean, we it's just really it just seems like across the line. Is it, it just looks too much like prison. I mean, it looks like a TH, TSA scanning. You know, you're going to go to the checkpoint to go get on a flight somewhere. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree with you now that I've listened to all of it. It just does seem to be a little out of line. Actually, what has been happening, and as you say, quite excessive, not just a little excessive. Um, in full disclosure, I've been in mental health boards, and there's no conveyor belt. There's a security guard that stands far, far, far away. His presence is really just, you know, a white shirt and blue pants, so to speak. So mm -hmm. I do think that this is um, a problem and I certainly do wish you good luck with it. Is there anything else um, anyone wants to add? No, we just want to understand, we, you know, we're hoping that they will reconsider on this, going to this extent um, and continue with their current security practices. I mean, they're working well um, and really consider the patients. I mean, this, this is not about the staff. I don't think the staff, you know, the folks who have reached out to me are like, we don't, it's not about us. It's about the patients. So, you know, we don't want to prevent anybody. We, don't, we never want to prov provide barriers to mental health services. That's what we all need. We're in the middle of a, a historic pandemic. The last thing you want to do is put up a uh, kind of like, a, I don't want to say it, but a bureaucratic barrier. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, you're additional you're security. You're, you're absolutely right. Well, folks, I do appreciate you joining us. And I actually wish I had a lot more time to talk about this. But as I said, I'm under time constraints here. But um, I'm also considering writing about this. I'm not going to um, promise because of my column is already written for Sunday's paper. Is there a public hearing coming up or anything that I can? It's April 28th. If, is there anything coming up closer um, that I might be able to highlight? There's no public transparency or public conversations, but that's one of the things we're asking for. There's none. You mean none? There's been no, there's Not nothing like a public comment period or, or anything? Nothing separate of our individual efforts, which is why we're here today, because we okay. love Steamate City. Right. Okay, but uh, again, um, is it, who is pushing this? Uh, again, I'm confused. Who is, who is pushing that this, that this be done? And who is he or who is she and what gives them the authority to do it? Well, I believe it's both uh, the CEO, uh, Michael Sarniak, as well as uh, it's got to be endorsed by um, the Demas Commissioner. 
you know, you can't make this kind of big purchase, I'm sure, without right. getting authorization from senior levels. So um, and there was no discussion. You know, they, they've decided, uh, you know, I guess this, you know, like I said, Michael Cerniak, the CEO, has decided that this level of security is needed. And like you said, there's no, you know, which is interesting because, you know, these state funded agencies and buildings, you think that there would be some level of public comment, um, but it's not built into the process. You know, they can just do it. That's it. Yeah, I find that's uh, that's what's really uh, particularly disturbing to me, that they could just say that this is the way we want it and that's it. No public comment, yeah. no evidence that shows that this is needed or anything like that. And not to, and are we talking about a big expense here, putting all this together? I mean, I think someone mentioned that, right? That. There's, I mean, this is going to cost quite a bit of money to to staff police officers um, to put this technology into place. And it comes at a time when they're cutting services for mental health, you know, patients. It seems a little, yeah. it seems a little stupid to me. You've been listening to Real Talk, Real People. If you would like to be on the show, have a comment about the show, or perhaps you have an idea that the show should explore, give us a call at 203-605-1859 or email us at realtalkrealpeoplect at gmail.com. And remember, start your Sundays with my column in Hearst, Connecticut newspaper statewide and start your Mondays right here at Real Talk, Real People. Have a good week, folks. We'll talk again next week.